Hey everyone, welcome to episode 232 of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff. Here's to hoping you've all recovered from whatever level of election year stress that has piled onto the already unusual load that all of 2020 has heaped into our lives, begrudgingly at some point. I'm hoping you caught Andy's Election Day message that went out through many channels, including a reading by yours truly on last week's podcast. If you didn't get the email or if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's show, Please press pause and go do that now. If you're still searching for a little perspective, go back and listen, and it might be what you need to get over the hump. I found it to be very insightful, and I think you will too. It feels good to have all of this, or at least for the most part, in the rearview mirror, and it reminds us that even though waiting is an unknown in length and outcome, God always has us in his hands, and we can look back on the other side of the wait and thank him for sustaining us and doing his transformative work during that time that allows us to not just survive, but really thrive during the wait. And this week, we continue with our While We Wait series. And so far as a review, we've looked at Abraham, Job, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, and now David. And in some ways, I think David maybe has had it worse than anyone else on the list so far. I mean, he's a teenager, (laughs) right? And he's anointed as the next king of a great nation, And then immediately after this private anointing secretive service, he goes back to herding sheep. And then for like the next decade and a half, much of this is going to be full of supreme drama as the current king spends most of his trying trying to kill him, not even knowing that he's going to be the heir apparent. I mean, that's got to be torture. And David has to be thinking, did Samuel make a mistake? Did God make a mistake? Andy, why anoint him so early and secretively if the time is only going to be spent for Saul to be throwing spears at him and taking his army of special forces to chase him down? Why, why anoint him so early? I, I, I just don't get this. Well, I don't, I don't really know, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but my, my guess would be that you live your life different with a sense of calling. Okay. Uh, so, so if if there's this the sense of God's hand on you that you have, there's a, a sort of a marked out future for you that you have the sense of purpose as well that enables you to go through. Let's just pretend that he hadn't been anointed to be the next king, and Saul had still needed a heart player, and he had gone to play the harp for Saul and gone and killed Goliath. You know, if, he, if he'd done all these things. Without this sense of calling, uh, there could have been temptations and opportunities for um, engrafting into this into Saul's kingdom. You know, I, who knows where, what could have happened? But but knowing his sort of his destiny is to be the next king uh, was sort of a protection to him as well from getting enmeshed in in uh, other opportunities. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I hadn't. I hadn't really thought of that because I was thinking to myself, you know, was somehow this involving all the all the players and all the drama and, you know, David and Jonathan and all this. Was this to teach him skills that are going to make him a better king or was it something that was to confront Saul with more than just the words of Samuel saying, here's your shortcomings as a king. And guess what? You know, God's going to take this away from you. He's chosen somebody else to follow you and your kingdom is not going to endure. 
And then to see what Saul does with that in the meantime, is this a test for Saul as well? Yeah, I mean, that, that's very, very much could be very much the case, you know, that whole waiting that, <laughs> on his on his side. Sure. Um, but I really think this is oftentimes when when a person you, you've met, you've met a kid who said, I'm be this or I'm going to do this. And, the, and they're and they really are bent toward it. And it directs their whole thing. It directs their, you know, their collegiate ears. It directs their postgraduate ears. If there's clarity, they have this dream, vision, hope, destiny in their head. Yeah. As I started to think about this whole time of David kind of playing chess with Saul, so to speak, about they're together, they're apart, he keeps trying to kill David, we have these these instances where he's in the cave, not napping, but relieving himself. As you mentioned on Saturday, if you were live in person at the church, <laughs> I, I got a good chuckle after the uh, the kids' video <laughs> that he was uh, relieving himself by taking a nap. And I'm thinking, you know, that feels that sounds really good right now. A nap, you know, as adults, <laughs> maybe that's the way we should look at this. But all these instances where David seemingly learns something about God that. Maybe he didn't understand before, but all of a sudden, it's just like this instant where he says, no, no, this isn't the right thing to do. And he's even sad or upset that he would have taken and cut off part of his royal robe. And yeah, I, where does that come from? Is that just <laughs> is that the Holy Spirit working on him? Because it seems like, you know, because the rest of us are reading that going, man, he could have taken him out right there. Life would have been so much more simple. And walks out of the cave. Saul walks in the cave, and David walks out of well, the cave, and <laughs> all the soldiers make him king, and they all live happily ever after. Right, right. How did you know, how does that change the story of what well, we would know I, then? I I read um, Andy Stanley's new book on Sunday, and one of the questions in his five questions to ask as you try to make decisions, kind of making for making better decisions, hmm. is what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? And so. When David's kids are asking him down the pike, how'd you become king, Dad? Mm. Well, I killed the former king while he was, you know, taking him to go in the bathroom, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I sort of stole it from him kind of thing. As opposed to, you know, because he couldn't, he didn't know how it was going to come out. David had no idea how God was going to move him into the kingdom. Sure. He just knew that he was supposed to be the next king. And maybe this is maybe this is God's will that he's just being handed this, you know, he's handling Saul to him. And but if we use the in making these decisions about our lives as we move along, you know, what story do I want to tell? Uh, do I want to tell a story of, of making some decisions that now are embarrassing to, to share? Or do I want to make decisions that I can hold my head up and say, yeah, that's, this is what I decided to do. It didn't make any sense at the time. But I felt like it was the right thing to do. And sure enough, now looking back, this was the right thing to do. That's pretty good if you think about it, because it can be very difficult. Like you said, David knew that, yes, I'm going to be the king. Obviously, he had been anointed. But it almost seems like the circumstances maybe helped in that way, coming to just mm -hmm. starting to think about it, that, it, you know, it's done in private, like you had mentioned during the message that had it been done a different way. You know, uh, 
Samuel and David would have been marked men from the get-go. Not that it didn't seem to make a whole lot of difference, but how things turned out for David. It took a little while. It took a little while to chase David, but (laughs) right, David still ends up being a marked man for the majority of this. But you know, for for him to then the narrative is almost written that if, like you said, if you make a good decision, look at the story you get to tell versus versus the other. Because it just seems like, you know, God choosing this unknown shepherd that is not the most beautiful, even of his, of his family, of his brothers, probably not the most kingly of all of his brothers from what we would see on the surface. And, you know, what does that say about Saul? Because Saul was everything you could ever want on the outside as a king to be, right? Oh, right, right. And that's and that's part of the challenge is Saul's kingliness may have been part of his downfall as he, mm. as he became more self-sufficient less versus God-sufficient, thought he was powerful enough or handsome enough or big enough or whatever <laughs> to handle to handle things as well. Well, yeah, I, I love the yeah, quote that you used from Chuck Swindoll when we were when you were talking about that because I thought even out of all the things that we can take away from this story this really seems to bring home a lot of our shortcomings. You said, or Chuck Swindoll said, when we look for people to admire, when we choose our role models, our heroes, we are often swayed or impressed by things that are cause for boasting. We want the beautiful people, the brilliant people, the successful people. We want the best and brightest. We are terribly enamored of the surface. The superficial impresses us much more than we'd like to admit. And as you read it, you can immediately think of, I don't know, think of your president, think of your pastor, think of the person who you want to lead a ministry, think of your spouse, right? You don't go after and go, man, I hope I can find the ugliest person in the world who has no personality and (laughs) and everything, right, that you can see. Mm -hmm. But I can't one, that one has kind of stuck with me since Saturday morning because I can't just help but wonder how many times we convince ourselves of someone's compatibility for anything inside and outside of our lives by these external criteria. And then we blame them for the shortfall in expectations when they're not met. (laughs) Right. How often do we evaluate ourselves this way? Sure. And then, and then, you know, we think like you always say, we think more of ourselves than we ought. (laughs) (laughs) It's a temptation. It's a, it's a temptation. (laughs) It just seems this story has been so hard for me to wrap my mind around in some ways be in this part of the story through this idea of waiting because so much of what David didn't know makes it so hard to make good decisions. Right. Because even, even if you know the end, how do you know what that's going to look like? How do you know when and how and that the robe isn't the right time? Yeah. Well, I think part of and part of it is David, David had a principle whether we agree with it or not, he had a principle that he was simply going to honor the king. Um, you know, that was just part of, that was part of who he was. And, you know, even, even when the king's acting very poorly, <laughs> um, he's chosen to say, no, no, that's, it's, this is, God, this is, this person is in a place of, um, of leadership. And I'm going to, I'm going to respect that, that role, even if I have a hard time with him. I think that if more of us could see and adopt a portion of that, 
Even, yeah. Even when it came to, you know, I mean, just the fact that we finished up for the most part, you know, there's just a few loose ends to tie up now. But the presidency and, of course, we voted for our members of Congress and the Senate and all this. And, you know, even when they don't act <laughs> particularly well or, you know, they don't they don't act in a way that would immediately make you think, man, that person deserves my respect. But to still, you know, you can still vote them out of office, but you can still do it with treating them with respect or speaking about them with respect. Well, you know, but it's that's hard. hard. It is hard, and and yet at the same time, there's really nothing to be lost by doing that. Mm, yeah. Somehow we think if we can be disrespectful, and if we can, you know, if we can, well, be disrespectful, that that there's somehow there's somehow an advantage we gain by doing that. And and in David's story, the advantage was the advantage was gained by not doing that. Yeah. By by choosing to say, okay, wait, this is this this guy's trying to kill me. <laughs> he's not just against me; he's actually trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And yet, his position and his place of honor will be respected in spite of that. So it really is a pretty amazing story. How do we know what David's? Maybe we don't. I don't think we do. But his routines or his – I mean I, I know or I'm assuming – I shouldn't say I know. I'm, I'm assuming that as a shepherd, you probably had a lot of time to think to yourself. Well, maybe, but maybe, probably, probably where you got a lot of the psalms. Right. Um, maybe he, where to pray. He's out there heart, heart playing, writing some music. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it, it, it's got to be that time with God where he has the one-on-one -on -one time that makes him in that moment – in the cave, he cuts it off. He cuts off the robe, could have killed him, and it, maybe that's what triggers the whole. Nope, nope, I'm not going to do that because yeah. the person that I commune with every day in my God, this doesn't feel right. So maybe because I've been trying to find something that David did or was doing or. Something to hold on to to say this is how he came to that other than just, well, he happened to make a good decision because it can't be that simple that right. he just no, made and, that. Because he was headed to kill Abigail's husband and her whole household and everybody in the family when you know when he was ticked off at, at uh, Nabal, I guess his name, anyway. And, um, and then she goes and meets him with all this food and says, you know, pardon my husband, he's being a fool about this, basically, yeah. and I'll take care of you. And then later he marries her, um, <laughs> but um, but and he thanks her in sort of in a wonderment of what bad thing might I have done had you not come and done this. So I mean, obviously, you know, David was certainly not a perfect decision maker. He no. decided to uh, the whole Bathsheba thing reveals that pretty clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I, one of the things that really struck us, my wife and I were talking on Saturday afternoon about it a little bit, and, and one of the things that really struck us was the barbaric nature of the whole thing. Mm. I mean, you know, it's just like they're out to kill each other. They're, you know, cut off the head and, you know, just, I'm just, you know, just, it's just, just the whole, this very barbaric period of, um, of gang warfare there. And yet it still comes out to be a positive. And I, I just love that fact. And I'm holding on to it now that what kind of story are you going to tell? And yeah. how much more proud are you going to be just in yourself, let alone, you know, I know that God would prefer us to make these decisions and then to be able to say, 
Yeah, you know, look at like he told Satan with Job. Look at look at what my 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 person Job here. Look at my guy Job. Well, and I think as we step into this next chapter in the political history of our country, how to react, how to conduct ourselves, uh, and those decisions we make will be part of our story and how we tell that story. That story is being told every single day, and yep. there's days when you don't have a good day and you think to yourself, <laughs> "Oh my goodness, that's bad." That's bad. And all you can do is go back and, and apologize when you don't have a good day. But it still leaves a legacy that is going to be there. So I think we sometimes don't see this because of the fact that, like you said, this was a little more barbaric. It wasn't like you just disagree and, you know, eventually I'm going to be king and whatever. It's, you know, he's out to kill him. And this is not multiple times. I and mean, this was this is ongoing thing for dec- over a decade. And so it's hard. It should be easier for us to just take well, but, smaller things. Yeah, and, but it, I mean, but Jesus' call to us is a pretty dang high bar. Um, <laughs> you know, when yeah. he says, he says, you know, don't just tolerate your enemies. Right. Uh, we talk about tolerating people, and toleration is a big deal these days. But the Bible doesn't say tolerate your enemies. It says love your enemies, which is a very active, engaging, uh, self-sacrificing, giving of yourself word. And, uh, Are you sure and that's I, I, a good translation? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I mean, uh, you know, you're the Bible guy. You've studied the the Latin and the Greek and all this. I mean, are you sure that's what it says? If you, if you just if you think about love your enemies <laughs> and then just go read First Corinthians thirteen, and each of those things are what you're supposed to do for your enemy, uh, it's Jesus bar is a pretty high bar. Yeah, it and is. it should call us to do a self check when we're engaged in our treatment of people, period. Yeah. And they go back and say, wait, 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 am I, am I treating this person with love? Cause Jesus said, Hey, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples. It's not what, it's not just theology you hold. It's, it's not the beliefs the, by the number that you can, you know, rattle off and know what's going to identify you as whether you're my disciple or not is the love you have for each other. And so it's a really great thing we can do while we wait. We can learn to love everybody. Well, speaking of that, this week, I just want to say the takeaways, you outdid yourself this week on takeaways (laughs) because there was not one of them that I wanted to pick. I'll just go there because every one of them was like, oh boy, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. So if you haven't looked at the takeaways this week, you can go online and catch them at wholelife.church under the sermon series. Of course, they're on Speaking of Grace every Tuesday night. You can find them in the show notes on that podcast. But this week for this show, we decided, or I decided, that the one we were going to use was how can you practice loving and honoring those you oppose or disagree with who are in positions of God-given authority? And, boy, I'm going to tell you something, Andy. This is not something I'm good at. Authority is <laughs> no, it's just not. Authority has never been my strong suit. And this is probably, maybe for a lot of people, the hardest things we have to do is to succumb to authority when we disagree. Because, I mean, who who instinctively says, let me love on someone who doesn't reciprocate, particularly if done in an overbearing <laughs> or purposefully negative way, which is implied here. I have two separate thoughts on this. One is, I, I mean, I stink bad at this, and I probably always will. I wish I didn't, but I do. And the second is, I don't think there are many more dangerous people in the world than those with edicts from God. 
History has shown this to be pretty true, and even with the authority from God when it's misused, needs to be accounted for for their actions. So I'd say tough love is a form of love and honoring, right? That's right. So, oh, definitely. So for people, accountability is, is it can be part of the journey. So I'm just saying, you know, for me, maybe for people who have, you know, we've all dealt with, they're going to take the low road. A little accountability and a little biblical counsel would be appropriate, but also – who humbling ourselves to say, you know what, that I had to have played a part in someone's actions to me this way. And yeah. even if I haven't, if I can't figure it out, I still need to somehow find it to be like David, who's like, nope, I'm not going to do this. What's the story I want to tell? I like that. What's the story I want to tell? How, when this comes out, if it comes out and, or if this situation were to be known to people, and it probably will, because that's the way gossip works. How are people going to look at my reactions, my decisions, and my words that will get repeated? How are people going to look at me? And in, in turn, how are people going to look at God? Yeah. Because, man, every one of them this week was just, just tough. I'm, I'm, woof. <laughs> I was like, Andy is on his game with these takeaways. And this was the one that I'm like, well, Maybe we can tackle this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So what about you guys? I'm guessing someone outside of Andy and Randy and, you know, you're someone's going to disagree with me here, probably. So please send us the way you'd handle this in your life or how have you handled this in your life? As always, send a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or in an email to podcast at wholelife.church and would love to hear your thoughts. Speaking of thoughts, our final thoughts are from the closing to Andy's message. Somewhere in there this past week, he said, I think some of the end time scenarios that are taught, times of trouble, persecution, etc. In all of these, like David, we know how the story comes out. David knew he would be king, and we know eternal glory will be ours, and that the promise has the power to enable us to be respectful towards even our enemies. And when you think about it that way, that's another part that just makes you go, oh, right, right. It doesn't matter so much because what happens here, if we have to default to just being love, ugh, that's hard. Whew. But if we know that that story ends in triumph, just like David, he knew his was king, ours eternity. Hopefully that alleviates a little pressure and maybe removes a little uncertainty so we can approach even the people that just maybe grind on our nerves a little bit from a big picture perspective <laughs> to live like we've already won because we have. And really that should make us want everyone else to win as well. So I'm hoping that I really like that. The promise has the power to enable us to be respectful, respectful towards even our enemies. We can do it. I, I think I can. I think I can. I'm going to be that little engine. So something to work on, something to work yeah. on. All right. We're, we're still in this next week, are we not? We are. We we actually have, have uh, just worked to extend this series. Oh. It goes actually through the rest of the month. Nice. Um, yeah, we'll go through. We, we'll talk about. I don't care remember the titles, but anyway, this coming week uh, is comes to us from Isaiah. Ooh. Uh, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Will mount up with wings like eagles. It's not a person. It's actually just a text this week. Oh, okay. So uh, we'll 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 explore what what it all has to say for us. What it all has to say. I like that. Well, I'm glad that we're actually extending this because I think each one of them right now just seems like it, this part in history just seems so, so crazy and so much a part of waiting for, you know, so many different things this year, <laughs> just like you couldn't add much more to it. 
you know, now we're waiting for – I'm waiting for Thanksgiving. I'm pretty sure other people are waiting for Christmas already because the Z, <laughs> for any of you locals, they're already playing Christmas music. It's not – I mean, it's barely November. Oh, my. They're already playing 24-7 Christmas music, and that's just too much for me. But anyway, <laughs> that's going to do it for this week. So as always, if you missed the message, go back. You can swipe up in today's show notes, and there's a link to Speaking of Grace, which is our message podcast each and every week. And also in those show notes of that show, it contains all of the takeaways for every single week that pertain to that message. So join us on Tuesday evening for that. And next week, 233 is going to be on Isaiah or in the book of, of text from a book of the Isaiah. So, guys, thanks for listening and have a great week. <laughs>